Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. We have the latest on the HSR strike. Also on the agenda today, anti-scab legislation, seasonal work going down, infidelity at work, and a new book from a rock and roll icon. The GMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. A number of you are asking yourself, when will negotiations to end the ongoing HSR strike resume? And when is this strike going to come to an end? When they gave us their final offer, we gave them where we were at. That doesn't mean we don't have room to move. That doesn't mean that we're not willing to negotiate. But in order to negotiate, you've got to have a willing partner that's uh, prepared to move off of their numbers. That is ATU Local 107 President Eric Tuck. What are the chances that a deal gets done before Sunday's Grey Cup in Hamilton? Carl Alcon is the acting city manager with the city of Hamilton and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Carl Al, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Thanks for the opportunity to be with you. Maybe we'll start with this one. Are any new negotiations planned? Um, the city staff team, we continue to reach out to the ATU we are ready and willing to go back to the table. I think, as you know, in these uh, matters, that discussion needs to happen at the negotiation table. So um, as soon as they signal to us, we'll be back at the table. Is your gut telling you that this is going to go beyond Sunday's Grey Cup? Uh, you know, Rick, I, I, I got to admit, I'm a little bit new to this. And, and my gut right now is... Uh, doing many things, but it's not telling me anything that I can hang my hat on. I hope that we can uh, showcase the city. I really hope that, uh, you know, one of the reasons why I came to Hamilton, it's, it's a great city. It has so much to offer. And, and you know, it, it, you know, we're hosting a national event. So I hope people walk away and they feel really positive about the city of Hamilton and what they experienced here and, and all the good things associated with the Great Cup festivities and the event. I, I want to jump into the, the inner workings of the deal. I know you can't share too much, but I'll, I'll do that just in a couple of minutes because I do want to get down to, there's been a lot of talk about um, uh, replacement workers or scabs operating the shuttle service as part of the Grey Cup. Uh, what happened in the 2021 Grey Cup? What, were those shuttles in town operated by the HSR? Were they operated by Metrolinx? Were they operated by Attridge? So a uh, great question, Rick. Unfortunately, um, I don't know the exact details in, in, in being cautious and not seeing the wrong thing. I believe that uh, the buses were on the road. And the routes were there to accommodate the Grey Cup. As for the other details, I'm not familiar with it. And forgive me, I've been here for about 18 months and I'm still learning uh, the rich history that the city has and, and kind of part of uh, our uh, negotiations as we've gone back in, into the past. I think uh, it was alluded to that the last time there was a strike was 25 years ago. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, was Attridge Transportation contracted to offer the Grey Cup shuttle service by the city or the Grey Cup committee? So the city has no part in arranging any alternative uh, services. Um, and, and that's really all I can say. And I, I am very confident on that one. Okay. So the union's issue with scabulators is, is really with the Grey Cup committee and not the city. I, I think you, that's uh, fair, Rick. I think um, it's between the ATU and, and whoever is uh, organizing the shuttles. 
Carlisle Kahn is the acting city manager with the city of Hamilton, joining us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. As we continue to talk about the ongoing HSR strike and the impact it is having. Now, we know that the union has asked for, uh, what is it, 23% over four years, the city coming with 12 and a half over that same time frame. And we heard yesterday from HR Director Laura Fontana, who said, quote, the wages are the wages and they're not changing is there, Carlisle, even a little wiggle room on the city's proposed wage increase? Yeah, and, and yesterday we heard Laura Fontana speak to this, and I also spoke to it. And I think at the end of the day, once we get back to the table, there are many other things that are up for discussion. And it's it's, it's a bit of give and take, as, as all negotiations are. And some are financial, some are not financial. So it, it's hard to really pinpoint and say yay or nay. I think it folks need to get back to the table. I think they need to have professional, respectful conversations and, and come out with a a positive message that will reflect on the city. Uh, the union is uh, promising to shut down the shuttle services within the, within the Grey Cup. Is is the city preparing for that to happen? And if so, how what, what does that preparation look like? I, I think the ATU, they're within their rights to uh, respond as they see fit. We are not part of that. And... Uh, we're staying out of it. Where would you put your confidence level at that the deal is going to get done even before Christmas? Because we know the Christmas shopping season is a big one for many local businesses. Many people rely on the HSR to get to those businesses to do their shopping. Where's your confidence level at? It's it's pretty high and it remains optimistic. I'm hoping before Sunday's event that this is resolved and behind us. It, it, it would take us a few hours, if not a day, to get the buses back out on the street, uh, the city moving, uh, workers back into their role. Uh, I'm always very optimistic. I think that that's what we have to do um, because we, we work on behalf of all Ham- Hamiltonians and um, we have to be positive and we always have to look, I, I guess, on the bright side of things and, and, and be optimistic. So I am hoping that it gets resolved sooner than later, and uh, if not by the Sunday, definitely by Christmas. Some of our listeners are also texting in or emailing in saying, why aren't HSR employees considered an essential service? Is that at all part of this negotiation? Could we see that one day? Yeah. So, Rick, I believe the definition of essential service and, and who's in and who's not in that is, is a provincial matter, and currently the HSR employees are not in that definition. Fair enough. Mr. Khan. appreciate the time. Thanks for the insight today. Thank you, Rick. Really appreciate the time, too. That is Carlisle Khan, acting city manager with the city of Hamilton. As we continue to follow the HSR strike, it's the focus of our poll question of the day on X at AM 900 CHML. Which side of the HSR strike are you on? And listen, you might be stuck in the middle or you might be on the HSR workers side. Where right now 64% are saying we support the unionized members. 36% on the side of the city of Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Has demand for other transit services such as taxi cabs in the city, Ubers, Sobe bikes, has that all gone up due to the HSR strike? We're now in a day six of this work stoppage. Well, let's bring in an expert, certainly in this field. He's the president of Blue Line Taxi, Anthony Rizzuto, joins us on GMH. Mr. Rizzuto, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm I'm good. Have I, I can imagine you've probably seen a big increase in ridership. Yes, no? Well, not as big as we expected. Um, I was uh, fortunately involved in the last two bus strikes, um, and uh, there was a big significant impact back then. 
um, due to the fact that we didn't have any any outside, uh, you know, unregulated competition. Today we do, um, and uh, I think that has uh, has had an impact for sure on on the amount of rides that we're doing. Um, I definitely agree. The weather is uh, yeah, great. I'm outside of my window. I can see the uh, the Sobe bike rack and the uh, and the and the scooter rack, and they're empty. So people are taking advantage of the weather and using uh, an alternative mode of transportation. Were you expecting a certain percentage increase in ridership, and what was that number, and what are you actually seeing? Um, we we expected um, at least probably 50 to 75%. We're realistically looking at around 23 to 25 right now. And you're blaming mostly that on other options that are in the city right now? Well, yeah, so we're we're a regulated um, service for the city of Hamilton, and we also service Burlington. Um, so, when you're dealing with um, you know an unregulated competitor like Rideshare, they're able to send a mass notice to uh, Rideshare operators across southern Ontario. So now you've got operators from other cities flooding into Hamilton to service uh, you know a demand that they think is there. Um, you know, the unfortunate part of that is if they do service people in Hamilton, they're taking that money outside of Hamilton and they're not, they're not spending it here where the drivers and, and uh, operators at, at Blue Line Taxi are, you know, they live in Hamilton and their families live here. Their kids go to school here. They support the local economy. And that's a, and that's a, that's a difference. I don't believe, though, that um, the impact of the uh, strike is as strong as uh, it sounds um, from my own uh, keeping my ear to the ground, and we do watch rideshare and, and see when they're surcharging, and they have not been surcharging, which means they're not getting as much demand as supply. Um, and I think the pandemic has really kind of set the tone for this, and um, people stopped using buses, um, started working at home, finding alternate uh, ways of getting around, and I think that's had a, a bigger impact as well. No doubt about it. Anthony Rosito is the president of Blue Line Taxi and our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. We're talking about the HSR strike and the impact it is having on other transit services like Blue Line Taxi, Sobe Bikes, uh, other ride-sharing services that are in town. And you mentioned you were uh, around when those other strikes back in 96, 98 were happening, and it was a much different world. What kind of increase did you see then? Then we we pretty well doubled. Uh, it was um, it was uh, it was pretty chaotic back then. Uh, I knew that we were we worked around the clock. We staffed up. Um, we had uh, obviously a lot more vehicles on the road, and um, and it was a bigger impact. And again, you know, as as the world changes, um, you know, people become a little smarter and they figure things out and they start uh, you know understanding that there's other ways of getting around. So if you know your neighbor works downtown. You hop, you hop with them, you know, you, you ask for a ride and away you go. Um, you know, back then you may not have. Uh, today, I think it's a little, you know, society's a little more open and people are, uh, are, are, are helping each other. You mentioned the weather too. I mean, this week we're getting glorious weather conditions for mid-November. If we were in, you know, the, the middle of a snowstorm, I'm sure you'd be much busier. I think that would have a bigger impact for sure. Um, we've noticed, uh, it's interesting to go around, we've noticed that uh, a lot of, uh, people are at bus stops and they're flagging taxis. 
which is uh, a unique way of doing it. I thought it was kind of uh, interesting, but uh, it's working. Do you expect to be much busier come Thursday to Sunday? That's when the Grey Cup Festival is in full swing. People are getting ready to go to the game. There's going to be tailgates in the whole bit. Do you, do you expect the coming days to be much busier, maybe higher than that 23 to 25% increase you're currently seeing? I, I think we will, and, and the reason being is, obviously, parking at Tim Hortons Field is, is not the best. We, we know that. So normally what happens is uh, when we are, we're prepared for it because when uh, the ride share starts to surcharge, which they will, they'll have way more demand than supply, and then when people start to find out what the actual rate is to get to the game, they're going to fall back to us because our, our rates are regulated. We can't surcharge where the meter rate set by the city. And I think that will have uh, an impact on, on our business. There's no doubt about it that, uh, as I said, parking is going to be a premium. The easiest way to get there is being picked up at home, dropped off at the, at the gate, and, and you're gone. So I think that is uh, going to impact us for sure. Anthony, I appreciate the time. Good luck to uh, all your drivers. They're certainly going to be hopping over the next few days. I appreciate it, Rick. Anthony Rizzuto is the president of Blue Line Taxi. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The Trudeau government trying to take care of business. It has tabled a bill that would ban replacement workers if in federally regulated um, situations. So if those federally regulated employees who are part of a union go on strike, uh, those companies would not be allowed to bring in scab workers, so-called scab employees, replacement workers. Now, unions, of course, they've been calling for this for years. They're welcoming this anti-scab legislation, which is known as Bill C-58. And really, this conversation is being had here in Hamilton with the HSR strike. This city thinks that they are going to be able to bring in scabs to move people to that tournament. And I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to block that. We are not moving. Now, just on that point, we got a little bit of clarification yesterday from Eric Tuck, the president of ATU Local 107. We're going to get, hopefully, fingers crossed, even more clarification later on this morning in about an hour from now with Carlisle Kahn, the acting city manager with the city of Hamilton. But let's focus on this bill, C-58, with our next guest. Marvin Ryder is a professor with the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Mr. Ryder, good morning. Good morning. Glad to be with you. So this bill covers uh, only federally regulated workers who are part of a union, which, from what I understand, is like a million people in this country or maybe even more. Well, there's a million people who could be covered by this. Uh, these would be people who work in banking, who work in telecommunications, who work on the major transportation systems. These are the fe- federally regulated areas. But only about a third of those million are unionized. The other two thirds are non-union. So in a way, the bill only affects a very small chunk. Now, this is a, a big misunderstanding for many people. The Canadian Federation of Independent Business has come out against the bill. We don't like it. We don't like the power it gives workers. But my response to them is it doesn't affect you. It doesn't include your workers at all if you're an independent business. Uh, but the idea, again, it's a starting point. If I'm organized labor, it's a starting point. The hope would then be to take it to the provinces have them pass similar legislation for provincially regulated businesses, and then so on and so forth. I'm I'm a little surprised that no one has anti-scab legislation at this point. I thought it was actually the law. Uh, No, no. Now, again, keep in mind that uh, one person's scab is another person's replacement worker. Mm. And so um, 
while people have a right to work in this country, individuals do, and therefore they have a right to go on strike, a business also has the right to keep functioning. Uh, oftentimes that might be through using management employees, and the bill would not affect that. Management employees could still assume some day-to-day -day labor to keep a business functioning, uh, but uh, the idea of then hiring some replacement workers, especially if the strike goes on for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, uh, that, that's not that unusual for people to consider doing. It's all part of the collective bargaining process. Both sides have to have the power to threaten the other one in different ways for collective bargaining to work. Is there a certain sector of the economy that would be more impacted by this legislation? Uh, well, I think, again, so, you know, the two that I think of are banking and telecommunications. Those have a large number of employees. So if Bell employees threaten to go off, uh, now, another little part of the legislation not only says that you can't hire replacement workers, but it requires both sides to determine in advance of any strike call uh, what essential aspects would still be allowed to continue on. So, again, as part of the negotiating, let's say we, we view today the Internet as being absolutely fundamental to the world around us. The two sides might say, OK, if there's a strike, it will affect this part of the workers, but these other workers will have to continue on. And then what the government has said in this legislation is if the two sides can't even agree on that, then it'll be referred to a, a, a group, a board, who will have within a couple of weeks the ability to say, these people must stay on the job because that's essential. These other people, they can go. So it's just, it's an interesting piece of legislation. One other interesting uh, aspect, Rick, assuming this is passed by Christmas time, it'll take a year and a half before it's implemented. So anything passed in 23, won't even start to be used until 2025. Hmm. And that's to give everybody a lot of time to study it and adjust accordingly. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Marvin Reiner, professor in the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. We're talking about the anti-scab legislation known as Bill C-58, which has been introduced by the Trudeau government. You mentioned banking and telecommunications, and that draws me back to your earlier comment from the CFIB, the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, who says, quote, this bill is terrible news for small businesses. Are they because it, uh, apparently they think it's going to prolong, you know, strikes and, and, and maybe increase their frequency, according to them. I, is that a possibility? And would would small businesses be greatly impacted by, I don't know, a telecommunications strike? Uh, well, I, I don't. Again, <laughs> bless the heart of the CFIB, the <laughs> Federation of Independent Business. It, it just doesn't apply to them. Small businesses would not be covered by this legislation because they're not federally regulated. Now, I suppose maybe the impact of a strike, again, think of a telecommunications strike and somehow affecting telephones or internet traffic, it, it could have an impact on small businesses, but I would actually think it would be a positive impact. In other words, if I'm a small business and I rely on some of these things, it would, it would encourage the, both sides to determine which parts of the essential service live on. I hate to say it like this, but the CFIB tends to always knee jerk to oppose anything that doesn't give their own members more power. Um, the labor people themselves, they've been wanting this for five decades. I think the only reason why they're getting it right now is that the liberals need the support of the NDP in Ottawa to keep functioning through to maybe 2024 or 2025. Uh, so this is why we're going to see this bill tabled and likely passed. Uh, even the conservatives have been reluctant to come out against it because they don't want to offend uh, unionized people. And just another quick footnote, Rick, uh, you had a wonderful clip of, the, of somebody, I believe it was a woman, mm -hmm. talking about using the replacement workers for the HSR. They wouldn't be affected by this either because the 
Hamilton Street Railway is not uh, a federally regulated business. So, uh, you know, this is, again, a great example. The, the, the bill itself is a very narrow, affects a very narrow band of workers. It certainly does. Marvin, uh, we appreciate you breaking it down for us this morning. Enjoy the day. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Marvin Ryder is a professor in the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. By the way, this bill um, constitutes that an employer who violates this law could be persecuted, and if convicted, could be fined $100,000 per day. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Looking for a job over the next number of days or weeks? Could be hard to come by. New data is out from job-finding website Indeed. This shows the number of seasonal employment opportunities this year is down 30% compared to last year at this time. Brendan Bernard is a senior economist at Indeed Hiring Lab, and you can find out more at Indeed.com and joins us now on GMH. Brendan, good morning. Thanks for having me. What's the reason for this 30% dip? Uh, well, I think it's actually a trend that we're seeing across the economy. Uh, so seasonal job postings, those are postings with terms like seasonal, holiday, Christmas, and the job title. Uh, th- they've come down uh, 30% compared to where they were at this time last year. At the same time, overall job postings are down 27%. So there's just a lull in hiring appetite going on uh, throughout the economy. Now, I would say it's not like there aren't jobs out there. Actually, while that seasonal, uh, those seasonal postings are down 30%, they're roughly tracking where they were in 2019. So uh, it's more so like the boom in hiring appetite that really pervaded across the economy in 2021, first half of 2022, is coming back down to earth. And in the case of seasonal jobs, is back down to earth. Is this also a result of some companies or some sectors uh, recession-proofing, knowing that the R-word has been tossed around for the last number of months? Is this them preparing for the inevitability of that? Actually, I I don't think it's necessarily uh, related to, at least on the seasonal side, I wouldn't say uh, it's necessarily uh, related, just because these seasonal jobs are uh, generally seasonal, right? They're temporary. So the kind of like longer term cloud of the recession of a potential recession, it's not necessarily going to uh, impact demand as much in the very near term. Um, but and so I think employers, when, when they're looking for seasonal workers, are kind of like thinking about what's going on right now. I will say, though, that another trend we've seen that could, that does potentially sort of link back to the cloudier economic outlook is that we're also seeing job seeker interest in seasonal work up this year. Uh, So job searches, uh, including uh, seasonal terms, uh, are running stronger than they have in several years. And that could be a sign that some job seekers uh, are are a little more pessimistic about finding those full-time permanent roles and so are looking for something quick uh, over the holiday season. That's interesting. Brennan Bernard is a senior economist at the Indeed Hiring Lab. Find out more online at Indeed.com. Certainly if you're looking for some work, seasonal or otherwise, head over to Indeed.com and find your match. And we're talking about seasonal employment opportunities dropping 30% this year compared to last year. Or those you heard from Brendan, overall job postings are also down 20%. Are there some seasonal employment opportunities that we're seeing a shortage of or, or people are in need in a certain sector? Uh, well, it, in general, seasonal job postings are mainly in the retail world. Uh, so 
uh, customer service type jobs, sales associate t- type jobs. Uh, but it, it, it can be a bit more mixed up than that. And I think um, uh, for, for different job seekers, uh, you know, w- what exactly that right fit uh, is going to be a bit different. You've got fulfillment, associate delivery uh, jobs, delivery jobs. And of course, you know, there are those uh, niche, niche seasonal jobs that we like, that we like to think about uh, as well. You know, those mall Santas, uh, can't forget about them. Timing has got to be bad for job seekers. I mean, the holiday shopping season is here. They'll probably want to make a little bit of extra money, but those positions just aren't there. It's, they're, kind, they're caught between a rock and a hard place here. Yeah, well, and, and just in general, I'd say that um, the, the outlook, at least at the, at the moment, isn't so dire. So, you know, we, <clears throat> while, while overall seasonal job postings are down, they're tracking where they were pre-pandemic. So there are opportunities out there, just not the same job seekers market that was before um i think like right and this is kind of like fitting with what we're seeing in the canadian labor market overall so so right now in canada the unemployment rate is 5.7 percent um that's up from 5.0 percent uh earlier this year so we definitely have seen the labor market uh weaken a bit over the past six 12 months at the same time though that 5.7 percent that we're at right now that would be considered pretty good by pre-pandemic standards so Conditions today are, are are still, while they've softened, they're still uh, pretty solid. I think the question is, you know, what's coming next year? Uh, and, and this is just one we're going to have to wait and see. Interesting analysis from Brendan Bernard, the senior economist at the Indeed Hiring Lab. Brendan, appreciate the time this morning. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Brendan Bernard is with Indeed. You can find out online all the details of the surveyindeed.com. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. What are the naughtiest jobs? Oh, yeah, we're going there. New data from Rant Casino shows about 85% of affairs begin in the workplace, with one in five employees confessing to being unfaithful with a colleague. From casual office banter to regular coffee breaks, 24.8%, 25% have confessed that the infidelity started at work. And, I mean, you look at the factors involved, right? People are around each other for the better part of the day. They might be on the phone, they might be connecting through social media, uh, a Teams meeting, a Zoom meeting, communicating through texts. I mean, it happens in this workplace all the time. People, we're in the communication business. We're communicating with each other all the time. 21.4% saying it started through that communication process, right? They get a phone call or they get a text or they get a social media post. 21.2% very closely agree that the affair flourished at the workplace when it came to gatherings or events. You know, the notorious Christmas party where millions of people (laughs) have admitted to making a merry mistake, if you will. And you have those individuals, and I'm not sure if this happens in your workplace. It doesn't really happen here. You have those very flirty co-workers. So, you guys working hard today? You're hardly working. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Looks like someone's working it. Hey, fellas. Who's mixing up the testosterone? Because believe me, I could use a shot. All three. 
Hi, Adele. Is that a tube top you're wearing? Good eye. Just a little elastic basket to hold my peaches. Would you like some nectar, Hector? You know my name is Joe. Mm, 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 I could use me a cup of Joe right now. And by Joe, I mean a cup of your man milk. Woo! It's getting steamy in here all of a sudden. People who work in sales stacked up as the top cheaters in this Rant Casino data. 14 and a half. That seems like a high number. 14 and a half percent admit to having workplace affairs out of the 1,644 people who responded to this survey and confessed to infidelity. 14 and a half of those 1,644 say, yeah, I work in sales. And you look at, you know, the, the factors that go into it. A lot of salespeople have irregular working hours. They're at network events. It is a prime breeding ground for infidelity. Next on the list of the most common cheaters in the workplace, this one certainly surprised me. And that is education. 13.7% of professors, teachers, lecturers in this survey said, yeah, I admit to being unfaithful. And listen, intelligence is sexy. And you never know what sort of extracurricular activity your teacher spouse is involved in. So if you have a better half or significant other in the education profession, I don't know. I want to ask him some tough questions. <laughs> We're talking about the naughtiest jobs on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML after a survey by Rant Casino showed about 85% of affairs begin in the workplace and one in five employees confess to being unfaithful with a colleague. You're flirting with the judge to gain legal favor? She's just my work flirt. Work flirt? It's just a way to pass the time. After I got married, I shut down my flirt thrusters completely. I can't do it anymore. Dude, when you're married, you have to keep a work flirt, all right? It keeps the flirt muscles limber. Otherwise, you tense up, you could pop a hammy like Pete did when he got divorced. I went from married and sitting to single and sprinting, and I strained a testicle. Ooh, not good, not good. Stretch out those flirt muscles. Healthcare workers are third on the list. When it comes to professions most prone to infidelity, 12.5%, 205 of the 1,644 respondents admit to being unfaithful. And when you look at the healthcare industry, they work long and unpredictable hours. They're called in on emergency shifts, some of them overnight. There's a lot of stress. And, and I guess that would be a stress reliever. Fourth on the list is transportation and logistics. Most likely to engage in infidelity, 9.8% of those who admitted to being unfaithful. While hospitality and events management came in fifth at 7.7%. Now, there is some good news with this survey because there is a flip side. And those with partners who work in the science and pharmaceutical industry or business management or law enforcement, you can all breathe a sigh of relief. Those are the three of the most faithful professions among all 25 industries analyzed. So if you are engaged or married with a police officer or someone in the science and pharmaceutical field, you should be okay. 25.5%, 605 respondents of the 1644 that were confessing to infidelity in the survey. 25.5% admitted to flirting with a colleague, and roughly half of that amount, 
owned up to having further developed romantic feelings. Additionally, nearly 13% confessed to having a work wife or a work husband following concerning study findings that have revealed that those with a work spouse are more prone to confine in them than their actual partners. Wow, you're, you're entrusting your work spouse with more, perhaps, personal information than your actual spouse at home. Hmm. Well, there's a glimpse of some of the naughtiest jobs, the professions that odds are, whether it's at a regular coffee break or a networking function, that uh, your better half might be unfaithful. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Today is a big day for Rush fans. It is the launch of Getty Lee's memoir. Yeah, the Rush frontman is out with a new book. It's called My Effin' Life. I'd say it was a pretty good one. So far, uh, Eric Alper is a publicist and music commentator and joins us on GMH. Eric, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I think if you're a Rush fan, you're going to have a pretty good week this week. Not only are... I mean, look, that book, I think I recall that the first draft of My Effin' Life, as it's called, was over 1,200 pages. So there could be more coming in terms of writing from Getty Lee. And also, he's... he's, uh, He's kind of cleaning up his house a little bit figuratively and also also physically, too. There's a memorabilia of his baseball item that he's collected over the last number of decades that begins on November the 21st. And if you're a baseball fan, if you ever wanted a baseball signed by Shoeless Joe Jackson or Josh Gibson or even uniforms and jerseys that were worn by Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig, he's doing all of that, too. So, um a lot of news coming out of the Rush camp. This, I love the title, My F in Life. Um, and, uh, and as I've referenced, I mean, he's had a really good life and a really good, I think, legacy within the music industry. Yeah, he wanted to originally call it Every Boring Detail because he really <laughs> couldn't believe how much he actually remembered. I mean, I think that if you've ever talked to him, you know that he's got a memory um, that's still laser sharp. He's still... Um, not only remembers everything, but he's kept so many things, including every single hotel room key that in a hotel that he stayed in while the band was on the road because he thought that it would be a nice memento for his touring in case if he ever never gets back to Indiana again. So it was interesting to see how many memories were were flooding back. And of course, there's the the you know the question that he's always going to be asked every single day for the rest of his life is you know will rush reform and he kind of left the door open in a number of interviews this week too yeah i heard one in which he said he's intimating that he's thinking about a new project with alex lifeson the surviving member of the band along with him following the death of neil peart in in 2020 that sounds exciting it does and considering the sources of people telling him that it's okay to go back out on the road when he was doing the um the tribute concerts to Taylor Hawkins from Foo Fighters not only did Dave Grohl tell him that you should just get out and play with Alex but Paul McCartney also said it's okay to have different members in and out of your life if you still want to perform so um, at least that he has uh, a little bit of guiding light for people who have actually gone and performed and continue to make music, even with key members not being around you anymore. And of course, you know, with if anybody knows that, it would be 
it would it would be Dave Grohl losing Kurt Cobain mm-hmm. and Taylor and of course Paul McCartney with George and uh, and John. So it, it's interesting to see now where Alex and Getty go with this because they're still the best of friends. They still talk every day. They don't have to do anything under the rush banner, but they're smart people though. They know that everything that they do together is going to be compared to one of this country's greatest rock and roll bands. Um, but you have to give them the leeway to be able to still want to create. They're still young. They're still in their seventies. Getty Lee out with a new memoir. It's called my F in life comes out today. And we're in discussion with Eric Alper, publicist and music commentator on good morning, Hamilton on 900 CHML. And you referenced this earlier that Getty Lee has kept pretty much everything from his rock and roll life. Do and I mean, you're, you're with music people all the time, musicians, rock and roll stars. Do they do the same? Is this, is this a thing? <laughs> um, no, I, I can only remember two that have a collection like this one of them is Getty Lee and the other one is Bill Wyman from the Rolling Stones who not only kept ledgers and diaries and pretty substantial ones every day that he was in the Rolling Stones from about 1962 until the mid 1970s and ended up putting uh, a, a fabulous photo book together but no for the most part though they're just not seeped in that uh, in that memorabilia and remembering part of it. Um, although that uh, I can just add a third one that I remember Stuart Copeland of the police have kept everything. And he had the brand new book out called the police diaries, but he only really kept stuff for the first couple of years. Um, and he kept pretty extensive diaries and kept all the flyers and all the posters from the early days of the police. Um, but n- for the most part though, it's just stuff for them to, to, to kind of clog up. And then when they get home, their wives are like, oh, no, you can just throw it all that junk. <laughs> this band has been around for nearly five decades now. It's kind of hard to believe. Was there a moment in time? Is there a is there a, a place on their rock and roll timeline where you can point to to say that's when they made it big? Not necessarily that's when they made it big. I mean, I, I think even as a music fan, having them on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine, finally, or getting into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, finally. But for Getty, it would probably be, and he mentioned this in the book, that they actually kicked him out of the band um, and was very, very close to not having him back. So it would probably be the moment that um, that the rest of the bandmates with Neil and Alex um, among others just decided that he wasn't going to be part of the band anymore in the early days. So that was a pretty smart decision um, because I think that if they would have actually gone through with that, we're, we're not, we're not here talking about them whatsoever. Um, But I don't know. I think for a lot of people, um, I I think when they started, look for me, it was the, the signals album in 1982, one of the most, you know, if, if there's any album in there, in their history that isn't really well loved. It's that one because Alex, because uh, Getty started playing synthesizers. Mm. And for me who grew up with synthesizer music or in pop music and hearing it all over the radio, that was the most commercial sound that I heard this band, which probably lost them some fans, but probably gained a lot of fans too, because it was one of the first videos to actually get shown on much music with subdivisions. It's called My F in Life. It's the new memoir from Getty Lee, and it's out today. You can get it in your favorite bookstore online or uh, in, in real life, if you will. Eric Alpert, yeah. publicist, music commentator, thanks for your time as always. 
Thank you so much, Rick, for having me. We'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.